I want to invite you to pull your message notes out. We're finishing the series that we've been in that we've titled Being Rich in What Matters Most. Again, I, I got this idea from a book I read a few years ago from Pastor Andy Stanley on how to be rich, and I would encourage you to get a copy of the book and go deeper into this material because it's important that if we ever become rich or if we ever realize that we are rich, because one of the problems rich people have is they live in denial and they don't know that they are rich and they don't like to admit that they are rich. And the reality is for most of us, we're very, very rich compared to most people in the world today. And if we ever realize that we're rich, we wanna learn how to be good at being rich because the truth is you can be bad at being rich or you can be good at being rich. And the Bible gives some clear instruction to people that have been blessed in this life and how to use that blessing and be good at being rich. So week number one, I gave you some good news and bad news. The good news was we are rich. That was the good news. We, we discovered for the first time for many of us that we are far richer than we ever imagined. In fact, if you make $33,000 a year in your annual income, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest wage earners on planet Earth today. So at $33,000 a year, you are a one percenter. You're not part of the 99, you're a one percenter. And at $77,000 a year, those who are blessed to make $77,000 or more every single year are not just rich, but they are mega, 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 mega rich. Because at $77,000 a year, you are in the top 0.1% of the wealthiest wage earners on planet Earth today. That is one-tenth of 1% of of the wealthiest people on planet Earth today. So the good news is we are rich. The bad news was, week number one, we are rich. There's problems with being rich. Jesus said it this way, it is harder for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of a needle because when you're rich, you have problems that other people don't deal with. I don't know about you, but this series is kind of hard adjusting for me and I need to do this on a regular basis because it realigns my heart. And one of the things that's been taking place over the last couple weeks in my life personally, and I don't know if you've had this experience, is I've found myself complaining less, especially when I realize that what I'm complaining about is actually a rich person problem, that many people in the world will never have the opportunity to complain about the stuff I complain about because you've gotta be rich to complain about these things. Like if, you're, if, if your water pipe busts at home and you've gotta call a plumber, that is a rich person problem. I mean, the very fact that you have water coming into your house, that you didn't have to go walk an hour this morning to draw water out of a well and carry it back to cook and eat and clean and everything else with, the very fact that water comes into your house, that's a rich person problem. Uh, the fact that the Wi-Fi dies in your home and the router goes out and you're frustrated because you can't get it working and now you can't check your email, that's a rich person problem. You know, when Starbucks runs out of your favorite syrup and it's fall and now you can't get your pumpkin spice latte and your whole day is ruined, that is a rich person problem. And so one of the things I would encourage you to do is when you find yourself complaining, when you find yourself about to kind of unload about something, just, just take an assessment, and if it's a rich person problem, for example, if what you're about to complain about starts with the phrase, my house, my car, my yard, my pool, my boat, my vacation, if it starts with anything like that, just announce and declare a rich person problem right now, rich person problem, and, and it changes you. But we realize that there are some pretty serious problems too that rich people deal with. For example, as a rich person, you very likely find it very difficult to depend on God. 
For many of us here, we've never had to pray the prayer, give me today my daily bread, because we have plenty of food at home. Rich people have rich people distractions, and, and we find it hard to focus on true priorities in our lives. So there's, there's some very serious challenges to being blessed in the world that we live in today. Last week, we dealt with the deceitfulness of riches. And if you've missed any of these weeks, I want to encourage you to keep up to date on our podcast. It's available on iTunes, on YouTube, our church website. These messages build on each other. So we talked about the deceitfulness of riches last week, the fact that money will lie to you. Money is a false God. Money promises you what only God can actually deliver. Money says, if you get enough of me, you'll be happy. You'll feel better about yourself. Money says, if you get enough of me, you'll feel secure. You'll be, you'll be safe until that person you love gets sick and you realize that money can't protect you. Money, money can't keep you secure. If you get enough of me, you'll feel important. You'll feel significant. Again, money will lie to you. Money will promise you what only God can deliver. So what I want to do before we jump into the message is I want to remind you of the big point of the series because the danger of a message like this and a series like this is it can leave some unintended consequences if you don't understand the point. And here's the point. God doesn't want us guilty. He wants us responsible. And this is huge for you to understand. Because when you hear something like this, it's very easy to walk away and feel bad because you've been blessed and other people around the world are living in starvation and living in poverty and you can feel bad about the car you drive and the food that you eat and the house that you live in and that's not the point. The point is not to feel guilty about the blessings in your life. The point is to feel responsible. Jesus said to whom much is given, much is expected, much is required. And that's the point of this message. So what I want to do this week is we've talked about the challenges of being rich the last couple of weeks. I want to bring this home and talk about how can we really become good at being rich? In other words, how can I become a rich giver? And what I'll do is I'll make my case tonight for why that is so important. Then I'll give you some very, very practical steps that you can take that you can kind of apply to your life and figure out. But let me start with this question. How many of you in life want to be, when it comes to generosity, like your goal when it comes to generosity is you want to be a below average giver. Like you want to be below average. Like if, if the average level of generosity in America is here, you want to do way below that. Like, like you, you honestly, you just, that was below average giving. Obviously, none of us want that. We want to be above average in our life. We want to be above average givers. The problem is for many of us, we're not above average givers. In fact, what we are is above average spenders. Like, like we're really, really good at spending money. Some of us, in fact, are so good at spending money, you actually spend more money than you earn. That's how good you are at spending money. It's called racking up debt. And, and I laugh about that, but honestly, if that's you, we have courses in our church to help you. We have a whole financial freedom class that you can find on our website where you can learn how to get out of debt and manage your finances and be a good steward and live beneath your means so you're not financially strapped in life. You see, we want to be above average at the right things. In the Bible, Jesus talked about a guy who was above average at the wrong things in Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man. He's talking about a rich man, very, very similar to those of us who have been blessed to live here in America, those of us who have been blessed to live in North County, those of us who, who make above $33,000 a year. 
The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? Like he had a great year. Commissions came in. His portfolio went up. It, it was just a stellar year financially for him. And now he's got this problem because he, he earns so much money and he now has so much stuff. He doesn't have enough room for it all. He said, I don't have a place to store all of my crops. So he said, this is what I'll do. He had a great idea. I'll tear down my house and I'll get a bigger house, a bigger house so that I can store all the stuff that I have because I have more stuff than I'll ever need and I need a place to store it all. So he tears down his barns, he builds bigger ones and there he's gonna store all of his surplus grain. Now, if the story ended here, many of the Jewish fathers that were sat in the crowd that day listening to Jesus teach this would have thought, that is a great story. This is what we've been trying to teach our children, how to handle money and how to build wealth and how to store it and how to keep it safe and how to protect it. This is just a great parable. But the problem is Jesus didn't end the story there. That would have been a great ending for many of the people that day, but that's not where he ended the story. It goes on to say, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Blow it all, spend it all. You worked hard, enjoy it, have fun, take it easy, be merry, and just enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. You fool, how could you think that way? How could you live that way? This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get all that you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be. How what will be? How people who live for themselves, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The title of the message tonight is Rich Toward God. Because in the world that we live in, there are a lot of people who are really good at being rich toward themselves. But they've come in below average when it counts on being rich toward God. And the question is, how can we be rich toward God? How can I make sure I don't fall into that category of this guy who did all this stuff for himself and then he lost it all because his life was demanded of him? And you don't take any of it with you. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've ever noticed this at a funeral before, but I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul to the cemetery. Like you're not taking any of it with you. When your life is demanded of you, it's gone, it's gone. So every week we've been building on this, this thought process. The first two weeks we said, if God has blessed me with more than I need, if I have more food than I can possibly eat, in fact, if I have so much food that I actually have to throw some of it away every once in a while because I don't have enough time to eat all the food in my house and it spoils and it rots and I have to throw some of it away, if I have that level of food in my life, I'm rich. If I've got more than I need, if God has blessed me with more clothes than I can possibly wear, I'm rich. So therefore, I'm not gonna put my trust in riches. Money will lie to me. Money will deceive me, but I'm gonna put my faith, I'm gonna put my trust in him who richly provides. I'm not gonna trust in the provision, I'm gonna trust in the provider. So here's the part that I wanna add on with this final week as we really learn how to get this right. And it's this, because I have more, I will give more. Because I've been blessed with more than most people in the world, I've got a responsibility to give more. And last week, we learned that the opposite is typically true here in America. 
The statistics in America is as income increases, the percent that people give away decrease. So as they get more, they give less. And what Paul does in this passage of scripture that we're studying is he clues us in on a secret that will unlock this concept of radical generosity in our life. That when you begin to understand that you don't have to give, you get to give. Generosity is not a burden in my life. It's one of the great joys of my life. The fact that I can invest my resources and I can invest my money and I can invest my time and I can invest my talents into making a difference in the lives of people, that is not a burden in my life. It's a joy. And that is the heartbeat of our church. If, if you haven't noticed yet, we don't do church for church people. We, we, we don't. I mean, that's what At The Movies is all about. We do church for people who aren't here yet. And you need to understand the Christian organization is the only organization in the world that was not built and created for the members, but it was actually built and created for the non-members. Church is for the people who don't know about any of this, yet that was the intention. That's, that's the point of our gathering tonight. And so we live for others. So one of the things we do as a church, one of the things I do personally, one of the things we encourage our leaders to do is we live beneath our means so that we have margin, so that we can give more, we can do more, we can make a bigger difference in the lives of people. Our motto is simply this, God has blessed me with more than I need. And I think it's true with just about every single person who attends our church, but there's a so that attached to it so that I can make an eternal difference in the life of others. Now, why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal to God? Well, in the last part of the passage that we've been studying, again, the book of Timothy is a pastoral letter that Paul writes Timothy, and Timothy is dealing with a group of wealthy people in his church, a group of people that have been very blessed in this world. And he's learning how to pastor them. And Paul gives some instructions on how to pastor them. And Paul clues us into almost this hidden code or this hidden clue. This, and it's really hidden in plain sight. That if you catch this concept, it'll radically transform the way you view money, the way you view wealth, and the way you view this life. You see, Christians understand this concept. And let me just say quickly, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ here tonight, you're not a Christian, you have not surrendered and submitted your life to Jesus Christ, this doesn't apply to you at all. Like you, hopefully you'll enjoy it and I'm glad you're here, but this doesn't apply to you at all. This applies to those of us who have committed our life to Jesus because there is a concept here that transformed the first century Christians and it was how they overthrew the Roman Empire because it transformed their view on life and wealth and material things. I want to show it to you. It's, it's hidden right in the text. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Do you see it? It's right there. It's right in front of us. It's so obvious that so many of us miss it. Let me help you for a moment. I'll highlight it. Command those who are rich in this present world world. To which we would ask, well, what other world is there, Paul? Like, like Paul, why would you have to use the word present? Isn't that just assumed? Why wouldn't you just say, command those who are rich in this world? Like, well, like, why do you, what are you trying to insinuate by using this word? Are you saying there's another world out there? 
And the answer is, oh yeah, there is. And the problem with too many people is they're too consumed and they're too caught up and they're too focused on this present world. So the greatest gift I can give you as your pastor is to prepare you for a day. Because there is a day that is coming where you're gonna, where you're gonna leave this present world and you're gonna move on into eternity to where real life really begins. So he goes on to say, tell them not to put their hope in stuff, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Again, God doesn't mind you enjoying the blessings in your life. And now he gets very practical to the rich people. And let's just, let's just make it very clear right here. He's talking to us. Those of us who make more than $33,000 a year, those of us that have running water in our house, those of us that have electricity, those of us that have cars, we are the rich of the world today. This is clearly talking to us. Command them to do good. Command them to be rich, not just in how much they have, but command them to be rich in good deeds. So it's not just about what you give, it's also about what you do. We give more, we do more, and to be generous and be willing to share in this way. In what way? What is he talking about? In the way of doing good. In the way of being rich in good deeds. In the way of being generous and in the way of being willing to share. When you live in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. See, this is a powerful concept. It'll change the way you view wealth if you get it as a firm foundation for the coming age. There is a coming age. There is life after this life. This present world isn't all there is. And when you live in this way, when you don't get so caught up in this present world, but you realize you're actually laying up treasure for yourself in a coming age, when you live a life doing good and being rich in good deeds and being generous and being willing to share, what happens is you take hold of life, the life that is truly life. In other words, this life that we're living right now is simply preparation for the next life. Or let me put it like this, there is more to this life than this life. You thought it was all about this life. There's more to this life than this life. There is so much more. And the next life is actually much, much larger and much, much longer. And so we've got to be very intentional with what we give. Let me take you to a passage that has really messed me up during this series. It has really challenged me. It's really shaped my thinking on, on generosity and really made me reevaluate some things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone builds on this foundation, now to build, we give. There, there are a lot of organizations that I help build through my donation. Through giving of money, I help build these organizations. And that's what it's talking about. Anyone who builds on this foundation using the economy of the day, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, so in other words, whatever I give to, whatever I give to help build, whatever I give to help establish, it says their work will be shown for what it is. So whatever I'm helping to build with my time, with my talent, with my money, with my resources, whatever I'm helping to build, it will be shown for what it is because the day, that's that coming day we've been talking about. 
New Testament is written in the original Greek language. In the original Greek, that is a capital D, meaning this is the day Jesus returns. This is the day where we will stand face to face before God and give an account of our life, give an account for everything we were a part of building, whether it was a charitable donation, whether it was our time volunteering, whatever it was, we're going to give an account. The day will bring it to light. It goes on to say it will be revealed with fire. So whatever you give to, whatever you donate to, whatever you volunteer for, one day that work will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work or or what each person gave to. And this is where it really challenged me. If what has been built, if what I have given to survives, the builder will receive a reward. So I look over my life and I've given to a lot of things that honestly, they're not gonna survive this present world. They may have been good things to do, but there's, there's no reward in it. Let me put it this way. I could feed every hungry kid in Africa and if they die and go to hell, I lose. I did nothing. I accomplished nothing. It was wasted money. Now I am all about feeding hungry children, so do not mistake me. But here's the point. We don't feed any hungry child without at the same time introducing them to Jesus. We use the food as a tool to introduce them to Jesus that has to be connected to eternity because the only thing that survives the fire is people. The only thing that survives the fire is people. The only thing you bring with you to heaven are the people you led to Jesus. That's it. That's it. Now, you'll look at this deeper this week in your small group. There's actually a passage where Jesus himself says this very same thing, that you're so caught up in the things like food when, when they're much more important things to invest yourself into. He goes on to say, if it is burned up, so if what I've given to, if what I've helped build, if what I've helped establish does not survive the fire, it may have been something good in this present world, but it made no eternal difference. It got nobody to heaven. Nobody was brought to Jesus through that donation. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as escaping through the flames. So in other words, I get no reward for it, but I still get to go to heaven. But, but it benefits me in no way when I get there. And this is a huge concept to understand. This, this really shaped what I give to. Asking myself, am, am what I giving to going to be around in eternity? Or is it simply giving to something that's gonna last in this present world and then disappear? And it brings me to another point. We don't get credit for what we leave. We get credit for what we give. I don't get any credit for what I die with. I get credit for what I give before I die. Because when I die, whatever I have in my possession, when I die, I lose. I lose it all. And it it benefits me in no way. But if I give it before I die, what I'm actually doing is sending it ahead so that I can use it forever, so that I can enjoy it forever. This is a concept Jesus taught. I love the way, there was a story about John D. Rockefeller. When he died, everyone wanted to know what he was actually worth because he was so wealthy and they all wanted to know what, what was he worth. And so they asked his accountant after Rockefeller died, how much did he leave? And do you know what his accountant said? All of it. 
<laughs> All of it. He left it. He didn't take any of it with him, in other words. You see, that's the point. I heard, a, I heard an illustration about this the other day. It was a, 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 an officer in the Union Army during the Civil War. He was leading his men in the South. And throughout the Civil War, he became very wealthy in the South with Southern Confederate money. Now, the officer knew that the war was about to end. And he knew as soon as the war ended, all of this Confederate money would immediately become worthless. The currency would devalue overnight and it would be nothing. And so being wise, this union officer began to sell off all of this Confederate money for, for things that he could take back with him to the north after the war was over. And all he did was keep just enough money to get him to the end of the war. But he sold off everything else so that he could use it after the war. That's the point to Christianity. We need to keep enough to get us through this life, but we need to make sure we're sending more ahead. Because what I die with, I lose. But what I send ahead, I can enjoy and use and be rewarded for forever. And this is what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You better make sure your, your, your only savings account better not be on earth. Your only investment account better not be on earth. Because what will happen is moth and rust will destroy it. When you die, you're going to lose it all. It's gone. And thieves are going to break in and steal. It's going to evaporate. Instead, Jesus says, store up for yourselves. And I love those two words. Many people miss those two words. Jesus is telling you to do this for you. He's not saying do this for me. He's saying you're going to need it. When you get to heaven, you're going to need this. You're, you're, going to, you're going to want it there. So go ahead and send it ahead because trust me, you're going to want it there more than you want it here. You're going to enjoy it there more than you're going to enjoy it here. You're going to appreciate it there more than you're going to appreciate it here. So why not send it ahead so that you don't lose it? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus talked about this all the time, having an eternal focus. The best thing that we can do is realize that we have extra. And for some of us, we have extra, extra. And with the extra, extra of our life comes great responsibility. Now, here, here's the problem. Most of us realize that. Most of us understand that we have been blessed. But unfortunately, we're not intentional about our generosity. The way most people give in America today is most people give emotionally or they give sporadically. They see a sad video or they're at some event. Somebody puts the pressure on them. So it's emotional and it's sporadic giving. But I have a job to train you with a Christian view of giving, to help you understand that Christians don't give emotionally and Christians don't give sporadically. We are very, very intentional about our life. We live life on purpose. So I've made the case for why generosity is important. Let me make this very, very practical. Let me give you two questions that every one of us should answer. The first is, what is my giving filter? What is my personal giving filter? And I believe every follower of Jesus needs to have a giving filter, needs to know the criteria that something must pass for you to give to it. What is your, and, and let me say, your giving filter does not have to be my giving filter. I'm going to give you a couple of, of my giving filter points, 
But you need to seek God and discover what your giving filter is. What are the things that God lays on your heart that you need to assess about anything before you give money to it? So a couple of my giving filter points. First is the relationship question. I ask myself, who will I commit to relationally? I can't give to everything. I'm not in relationship with everyone. There are so many great commercials on TV. I just, I'm not in relationship with them, so I'm not gonna give to them. I don't know them. I'm not doing life with them. I wanna give through the people I'm committed to. And so how this works for me personally is the majority of my giving goes through this church. Why? Because I'm in relationship with you. I'm committed here. You are my family, and I realize that together we can do something significant. By myself, I can only accomplish so much. But working together, we can do something to make a great impact in this community. So I give through where am I connected relationally. That's one of the first parts of my filter. And again, your filter doesn't have to be my filter, but be intentional about creating a filter. Second question is the difference question. Will it make an eternal difference? Is what I'm giving to going to survive the fire? Is it, is it solely based on this present world or is it bringing people to Jesus? And, and this is a big one for me, especially after studying that passage in Corinthians. I wanna make sure that what I give to survives the day, survives the fire, that, that the quality of it will be shown because it brought people to Jesus. It may be feeding kids in Africa, but it was feeding them for the point of introducing them to Jesus Christ. I want to know that through what I gave, people are going to glorify God in heaven. People are going to be connected to heaven. Another one is the God question. Is God speaking to me? Is God speaking to me? Is God directing me to do it? Because at the end of the day, I'm a steward, not an owner. Everything I have isn't mine. It's all his. And my job is to steward over everything God has entrusted me with. And so I need to know, is God speaking to me? So let me teach you a prayer that I think every follower of Jesus should master. And it's a little prayer that says, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? And here's the beauty of this prayer. For those of you struggling to hear God's voice, the easiest way to learn to hear God's voice is pray this. Every time I've prayed about what I should give or whether or not I should give, God always speaks to me, like clearly. Like there's so many areas I wish he would speak clearly to me on. This is an area he always speaks clearly to me on. Why? Because God knows when possessions in your life begin to move, your heart begins to move. And so he loves to answer this. Now I have other parts of my filter. There's a, there's a leadership question. Do I, do I trust the leadership? Do they have integrity? Are they accountable with the money? I ask the involvement question. Can I give more than money? Can I get my hands dirty? I don't want to just give money. I want to know, can I go serve? Can I go make a difference physically? Not just send money, but, but really get my hands dirty. So I have a number of points in my giving filter. I just gave you a few to get you thinking about it. And here's the second question that, that I think every Christian needs to answer, what is my giving strategy? I need to have a filter. I need to know what my criteria is to what I give to and what I don't give to. And then I need to be very, very intentional. I need to develop a strategy for how I'm going to actually do it. And so I have just three very simple points to my strategy. And again, my strategy doesn't have to be your strategy. You don't don't need me to tell you how to give. That's what you have God for. 
God will direct you to create a strategy. I'm simply encouraging you to be intentional about it. Be strategic about it. The first point of my strategy is I will intentionally share my resources. And this is much more than money. Money is a part of it, this, but this is much more than money. Every year I ask myself, how can I leverage my stuff for eternal purposes? How can I leverage my car to make a difference in eternity? How can I leverage my home to make a difference in eternity? That's one of the reasons why my wife and I host a small group every month. We want to use everything God has blessed us with to make an eternal difference. And this is the area where, without getting too critical, I think many churches have kind of gotten it wrong. They've kind of gotten a little off track. And I don't think it's necessarily bad motives, but what I think many churches have done is they just have resolved the fact that most Christians are not gonna be intentional with their generosity. The fact is most Christians are, are gonna give emotionally. They're gonna give sporadically. They're not gonna live life on purpose. And so what I've seen a lot of churches do is design services that appeal to people's emotions. Create slick videos and, and sad videos and kind of campaigns and gimmicks. And we just decided we're not gonna do that. We're, we're not gonna be the church that does the message before the message. Have you ever, I grew up in that church. I don't know if, you've, if you haven't been to a church like that, thank God. But for many of us, we grew up in churches where there was a message before the message. Remember, there was the, there was the sermon on money before you got to the main sermon. There was two different sermons on a Sunday. And we just decided we're not gonna do that. And here's why we don't do that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of every week, meaning Sunday, when, when, you, when you come to church to worship together with your, with your church family on the first day of every week, each one of you, and this is talking to believers. This is directed to Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And so my point is each one of you should. So this is not something I need to remind you to do every week. This is something that you just, you need to take responsibility of your Christian journey. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. And I love the fact that it's not an equal gift, it's an equal sacrifice. The sum that you set aside is based on the income that you make. That's tithing if you haven't got that yet. Because tithing is 10% for everyone. So it's 10% whether you make this much a year, it's 10% whether you make that much a year, you set it aside, you return it to him. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And that's where I wanna be. I don't wanna show up to church every Sunday as the pastor and have to receive a collection. I'd rather Christians just take responsibility for their Christian journey and every week just set aside the sum of money in keeping with your income so that no collections have to be made. And that's just the decision we've made as a church. We're not gonna manipulate you for money. We're not, I'm not gonna come up here every single Sunday and remind you to give. That's, that's not my responsibility. And again, you're gonna dive deeper into this in your small group this week. Paul actually has some other scripture on this. But let me give you some very practical suggestions on how to make this work. First is become a percentage giver. And for some of you, that might be tithing. For me, that's not tithing. I don't even consider the tithe as something I give. The tithe is already God's. So I set aside the first 10%, and I don't even consider it mine. I just return that to God. What I do in this area personally is every year, Amanda and I, we sit down and we figure out what, what percent of our income do we want to give away this year? 
And that is above our 10% tithe. And a few years ago, we started at 1% of our income and every year we grow that. And so every month, that percent of our income just goes into a little bucket and we figure out how can we do more for less and how can we be better stewards with what we've been given and how can we you know, live a more efficient life so that we can grow our generosity bucket. And then we grow that fund throughout the year. And then when we come across organizations that pass our giving filter, we have now a fund in our bank account that we can give out of to things that pass our filter. And we do it based on a percentage. We don't do it emotionally or sporadically because when you give emotionally, you get to the end of the year and you realize percentage-wise, you really didn't do all that much. But when you plan ahead, you realize you're making a significant difference and that's what it's about. Another way to be intentional is the legacy offering. We do it once a year. Every December, and again, we don't ask you to give in the offering, but we unapologetically ask you to ask God to pray that little prayer. Lord, what should I do? What should I do? This is just a time where we corporately worship God together as a church family. And the reason why we tell, it's six weeks away, the reason why we tell you now is to give you plenty of time to pray over it. I don't wanna teach a series on generosity and then do an offering the same month because because you're all emotionally charged up about the message. So I'd rather, it's kind of funny, I'd rather give you time to forget about this message so that you actually have to pray and seek God on what you should do in the legacy offering. What, what is your part to play? And then all you have to do is follow God. Just follow God's lead. And then another way to be intentional is our acts of kindness cards. We have these something extra that shows you God loves you cards all over our campus. Pick up a stack, keep them in your wallet. When you're at dinner, pay for a random table's meal and leave them a card. Buy somebody Starbucks, pay for their groceries, their gas, give them a card. It's something extra that points them to Jesus. It's a way that you can give in small ways that makes an eternal difference. And we get the emails all year long from people in our church who use these cards. Some of you who've used these cards, we get the emails that, that say, I was at a really bad place in my life and, and just really going through a difficult time and, and, and I got the check to pay for my dinner and there was one of these cards in there and somebody paid for my dinner anonymously and I just wanna say thank you because it just, it spoke to me that God still cares about me. It's making a difference. The next area I'm intentional is I'm intentional about sharing my time. So it's not just what I give. Remember, it was do more, give more. Not just gonna be generous and willing to share, but I'm gonna be rich in good deeds. I'm gonna live a life doing good. So I'll be intentional with my time. This is the very reason why we do the growth track as a church. Like we don't need another thing for you to do. So, so we're not doing the growth track because we need more classes for you to take. We're doing the growth track to teach you how to be intentional with your time. When you go through the four classes of the growth track that we do every Sunday around here, it helps you identify what is your gift. What, what, what makes you unique and different to everyone else so that you can use your time effectively, intentionally to make a difference in the kingdom? It's what Peter says. God has given each of you a gift from his great, great variety of spiritual gifts. The problem is too many people don't know what that is. They've never done an assessment. They've never taken a test. They've never sat down to intentionally figure out what is my gift? And then Peter says, use them well to serve one another. Well, how can you use how God made you unique to serve other people if you don't even know what your gift is? So how do we do this? We do this through the dream team. 
I identify what my gift is, and then I find a place to serve on a team with people where we're making a difference in eternity. And that's what happens every week around here. Together, we are a team that is bringing people to Christ, that is seeing marriages restored, that is seeing families put back together, but it's a team effort seeing it happen. Another way, and this is especially for our morning crowd, is just the shuttle parking. That's, that's a great way to use your time to help impact eternity. Because again, every week, there are people who don't know Jesus coming to church looking for hope. And we never want them to be turned away because it's too crowded. Because it's too crowded. And then the last way is our small group outreaches. We emailed every small group, every small group last week with a list of different outreaches that you can do together, where you as a small group can get together and go serve in a nursing home, go serve in a a food kitchen, serving the homeless. Go make a difference with your time. And then the last area that we need to be very, very intentional about is I'm gonna, I'm gonna share my resources. I'm gonna have a plan for it. I'm not just gonna, not just gonna do it you know, happenstance, but I'm gonna have a plan for how I share my resources, a strategy. I'm gonna have a strategy for how I share my time. And then finally, I'm gonna have a strategy for how I'm intentionally going to share Christ. I've got a responsibility to share Christ. Here's, here's the deal. If there is a heaven... And if there is a hell, and there is, and you know about it, and the person that you work with is not heading to heaven, and your next door neighbor is not heading to heaven, and the friend that you have is not heading to heaven, and you don't do anything about it, that is a crime. That's a crime. This is a big deal to God. God's very serious about this one. In fact, in Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, there's a whole prophecy about this very thing directed at us today. Ezekiel says, if the watchman, now we are the watchman. You and I, those of us that that know Jesus, we are the watchman, sees the sword coming. That's that day coming that Paul talks about, the coming age, the day that that every single one of us are gonna stand face to face before Jesus. And we do not blow the trumpet to warn people. We don't tell them about Jesus. If you had a friend that was dying of a disease and you had the cure and you kept it secret, you see, we have the answer. We know Jesus. We know what's gonna happen. We know that there's a coming day. We know that that there is a judgment that everybody will stand before. And we have the answer. And if we do not blow the trumpet to warn people, and that day comes, the sword comes and takes their life. In other words, if they end up in hell, and we knew and we didn't do anything about it, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. A heavy verse. And I know it's hard to just try to go out and tell somebody about Jesus. That's why as a church, we, we do everything in our power to help you with this. So I've just got three very practical ideas for you. First is at the movies. Again, the entire reason we do this series is to give you an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus in a way that is a lot easier to inviting them on a regular Sunday. 
inviting a friend to come have some popcorn and some candy and some Coke and watch some movie clips. That's not that hard. And we designed this series around sharing the message of Jesus. Our Christmas Eve services. This year, we're going to have six Christmas Eve services. For some reason, people love to come to church on Christmas Eve. It just fills up. It's one of our largest weekends of the year. People just more inclined, more prone to come on Christmas Eve. Use it as an opportunity. You have people you work with who would love to be invited to a Christmas Eve service. You have neighbors who would love to be invited to a Christmas Eve service. They're in the, they're in the, the Christmas spirit already. And in this service, we're going to make the message of Jesus very clear. Very clear for people. And then the last idea I can give you is there's something about the month of January. People are making New Year commitments and a lot of people are reevaluating their life and it's just a great month to invite people to church. And so we have a series this January called The Daniel Dilemma. And it's based off of a book that my pastor just wrote. And the whole concept of this book is how do we stand firm and love well in the world that we live in today? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is crazy right now. Like it is so polarized and angry and, and, and divided. And they want you to take a side. The world wants you to take a side. You either take the side of love and acceptance and tolerance and anything goes, or you take the side of truth and you get labeled a racist and a bigot and judgmental and mean. And can I be honest? Both sides are wrong. There is a Jesus side that we are to take. And Daniel shows us that in the book of Daniel. Shows us how we can love people without compromising what we believe. How we can stand for truth without ever judging another person. There is a way to take a Jesus approach. And we're going to deal with that this January. But let's be intentional. Let's have a filter where we sit down as a couple, married couple, family, get your kids involved and see God and say, what, are, what, what is our family going to be known for? What are we going to give to and what are we not going to give to? Let, let's be intentional about our generosity. And then develop a strategy. How are we intentionally going to share our resources? How are we intentionally going to share our time? How are we intentionally going to share Jesus and make a difference in the world that we live in. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? Father, in the name of Jesus, this series, God has challenged our heart. It's realigned us. It's adjusted us in a way that we, we've desperately needed because we get so blind and caught up in living in this, this, this beautiful community. We're so blessed. And Lord, the truth is we get to enjoy this world more than most people because of where we live. So it's easy to get caught up in this present world and forget there's something else that we're actually living for. So God, keep our eyes focused. Let us be intentional with our life. For those that are here tonight that don't know you, that are not Christians, that have never surrendered their life to your son, Jesus, I pray that tonight they will give themselves to you completely. In fact, if that's you sitting in this audience with every eye closed, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never committed your life to Jesus, right now as you're sitting there in your heart, just give your life to him. Just in your heart, say right now, Jesus, I give you my life. Take control.
be my Lord. Take over the driver's seat and just give them your life. Father, I pray for the people who just surrendered themselves to you. Thank you for welcoming them. Thank you for forgiving them. Thank you for your grace over their life. Let them feel your love tonight. And God, let them take next steps in this journey that they're on. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close?